This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash fool and enter the promo code fool. It's Tuesday, August 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Supernova, Aaron Bush and David Kretzman. Thanks for being here, guys. Hey, Chris. Hello. I know you're busy. I know, nah, I know, not really. I know Aaron in particular. I had to pull him away from uh, an interview he just did up in Boston on WRKO. So thank you for jumping from one interview to the next. Well, these are where my priorities nice. are, Chris. <laughs> nice. By the way, for any of our listeners in Boston, uh, I don't know if you know this, but yeah, on WRKO, we'll give a plug to WRKO AM 680 every. I think it's every Tuesday on Barry Armstrong's show in the morning. Uh, someone from the Motley Fool is on there, so check that out. And hey, if you want to drop a note to management at WRKO and suggest that maybe they could pick up Motley Fool money, <laughs> just that, a thought. That would be great. I, I feel like I feel like our show is just a little bit better than some of the financial programming they've got on the weekends. Um, all right, we've got earnings, we've got more earnings, and we've got delayed earnings. Let's start with Home Depot. Second quarter, holy cow! Record sales, record profits. They raised guidance, and the stock is flat. I mean, is it is this just this is the price you pay, Aaron, for just crushing it quarter after quarter for a few years in a row? Yeah, pretty much. I think they're <laughs> I think um they're well part of it is they're trading at about twenty four times earnings, I believe. Um and so that isn't atypical right now. I think many good businesses that are growing about the same as Home Depot that pay a dividend and repurchase shares are all kind of hovering about right there. And I think part of it is just because people are having a hard time finding other things to put their money in. So they're just kind of keeping it in companies like this. But at a point, even if the results are good, um, there isn't much justification for pushing the stock up even higher. But also, this is just one day. The results were good. And I really haven't paid much attention to Home Depot in the past. But after looking at this quarter, it kind of makes me wish I had, <laughs> and, <laughs> and maybe I should more going forward. I mean, for a massive retail company, Home Depot, they're really just being a beast at what they're doing. They're not really adding stores, because their store base is already so big. But even so, I mean, their quarterly sales rose 6.6%. The comps were positive 4.7% as a result of more people coming to the store and buying things, and raising prices, too, so about half and half is what drove the rising comps. EPS grew even faster, about 14%, um, as they're you know, gaining scale over certain costs that they have. Um, I mean, obviously, the housing tailwind is, is a big part of what they're doing. But I mean, I think, just based on what I know, there still seems to be um, more demand than there is supply for new houses out there. And so that seems to be a, a trend that'll probably stay for a good while longer. So I don't see this. These good results going anywhere anytime soon. Well, and David, to Aaron's point on the same store sales, I mean, if you you dig into that a little more, Home Depot's. I mean, this quarter is a is a nice example of how you like to see both the increase in foot traffic and the increase in ticket price. Because if if you're looking into someone's same store sales and it's entirely or almost entirely due to um, they raised prices, it's like well. That can work in the short term, but that's like mm-hmm. no one's going to increase their comps quarter after quarter by just constantly raising prices. You you got to see the foot traffic going up too. Definitely, and and a third 
segment, in addition to the uh, foot traffic and prices, would be uh, online sales, which, especially you know, in in the age of Amazon, uh, the success or lack thereof for a retailer of this scale really will come down in the long term, I think, to the online strategy that they have. So, in the case of Home Depot, their online sales grew 19%, still just about 5.6% of total sales. So, over 5% total sales come from online. And that, that puts Home Depot close to the top five online retailers uh, in the U.S. anyway. In dollar amount? In, in dollar amount, okay. yeah. And what, what the company's really pursuing is what we call the omni-channel strategy. So, uh, 40% of online orders are actually now picked up inside a store. 90% of online product returns are returned in the stores. So rather than boxing it up again and shipping it, uh, you, you can just return it in the store. So it's a little bit more convenient for for customers. So what you're seeing Home Depot do is take advantage of their huge store base. So in the U.S., they're not opening any more stores, like Aaron mentioned, but really the the name of the game for the company now and their priority is increasing the amount of inventory that they sell. So making the stores more efficient. Building that online presence, so they have three fulfillment centers uh, in the country today. They're ramping up two-day delivery, uh, and this year they're rolling out delivery from the stores themselves. So, with that online strategy uh, combined with a pretty solid business model, uh, one that has a fairly sizable competitive moat, I think they're in a pretty good position. I'm assuming we're going to see Lowe's report tomorrow, and it's you know they they've they've sort of mirrored each other over the last few years. In any given quarter, you see Lowe's putting up good results. Typically, we see Home Depot doing slightly better, but both are doing really well. And and sort of implicit in what both of you said is is something that um, you know for for all we talk about convenience and e-commerce and that sort of thing, these are two companies that have also invested in the customer service angle um, and have really delivered on that promise, both in store and. Um, I, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't assume Lowe's is doing as good a job on the e-commerce customer service. I don't have direct experience with that. I, I do with Home Depot, and they've like that's that's been a great experience both in-store and e-commerce. But both of them have have sort of made the promise of their respective brands. Part of the promise is, hey, we're going to help you. We like you, you know, and yeah. which is great for people like me who, you know, want to be. A little handy now and then, but don't really have a lot of skills beyond changing a light bulb. In, in, in the case of Home Depot, looking to fiscal 2018, management's goal is to generate $101 billion in revenue, which is about $11 billion more than they have now. And that's not going to come through new store openings. But management says that's basically the equivalent, equivalent right now of opening an additional 350 stores or so. So, oh. a lot of that comes through more online sales, just more efficient uh, sales uh, within inventory management within the stores themselves. Then you're getting into bigger ticket, kind of like contractor work and maintenance repairs and things like that. And the company still has you know, a relatively a fairly small market share out, out of what's a generally very sizable market. So there's there's still room for them to grow even if they're not opening stores. So Aaron, in terms of Home Depot stock, do you look at it? Um, with this uh, new revelation of yours, do you look at it now and think, okay, I'm putting this on my watch list, and I'm really hoping at some point soon they just get hit, that they just play, like, is this a stock? Do you just think, oh, okay, well, yes, it's at a high valuation, but I can stick this in my portfolio and feel pretty good about it for for the next decade, or do you, or do you specifically go, you know what, I'd actually love to buy this when it's on sale, fifteen percent or something. Well, I think you can do a whole lot worse than adding Home Depot to your portfolio right now. 
I don't know if it'll deliver amazing returns for you. Um, and, and certainly, I mean, if the stock price goes lower, I would be more interested. That that tends to be how it works. But um, but but yeah, I mean, I think where it is right now, it has a lot of optimism boiled into it. Let's move on to Dick's Sporting Goods uh, shares hitting a 52-week high after second quarter results included uh, a pretty surprising increase in same store sales. Uh, David, I think we were looking at a, a small drop in comps. Uh, they delivered close to a three percent um, boost in comps, so so that was pretty good. They raised guidance, the stock up about eight percent today. This is this is looking pretty good for them. Certainly, a, quite a contrast to Sports Authority, which just went bankrupt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is a company I haven't looked at too closely over the years, but I think this is a case where the better operator has won, uh, and and in an increasingly competitive retail environment, especially with with Amazon. They're just not room for multiple players, especially if you have one like Sports Authority, which just is not as as good or innovative of an operator. And Dick Sporting Goods has done pretty well, similar to Home Depot, with building out their their e-commerce presence. So their online sales were up 26% for the quarter. It's now eight and a half percent of total sales. And between 2010 and 2015, their online sales actually grew at a uh, annual rate of about 39%. So they have been building out that online presence. Something else that they've done to really differentiate themselves from Amazon and Sports Authority and other competitors out there, they've gone into what what's called a combo store format. So they have these private label stores like Golf Galaxy and Field and Streams. So honey equipment, golf equipment, fishing, camping, things like that. That differentiates themselves from other competitors. Store within a store. Pretty much. And then going along with that, they've also partnered with Nike and Under Armour and other you know apparel manufacturers to build those stores within a store. So that's another way they can draw in customers. I, I would assume that while, and we did see this uh, most recently with with Under Armour to a lesser degree with Nike, but we did see in their most recent quarters a little bit of a write down because of the inventory uh, ripple effect from Sports Authority. Is that is that the kind of thing that puts um, Dick Sporting Goods in? Uh, I don't want to say the driver's seat, but it puts them in a slightly stronger position, doesn't it? With with Nike and Under Armour, because look, they're they're both selling stuff online through their own channels, but they still want to be in places like Dick Sporting Goods. Definitely, and Dick Sporting Goods, they're they're acquiring I think thirty or so of the Sports Authority locations, so that they will gain market share through this. I think that's inevitable, and they are. They are still opening new stores, and particularly in markets that they consider to be new or underpenetrated. So they are still expanding. They should gain market share, and given the fact that they already have a partnership ongoing with Nike and Under Armour and other manufacturers to have those stores within their own stores, uh, yeah, I think they will have more bargaining power than certainly a lot of other retailers at this point. Yeah, one thing that's interesting that I noticed. I don't. I don't have a whole lot to add to what David said. But in terms of comps, uh, they reported 2.8% growth. Um, I went back um, and kind of looked at the historic trends just because I haven't paid much attention to this business myself. And these are results we really haven't seen since 2012. Wow. Um, I think there was one time since then that they were about 3%. And I don't know if that's just because there's a sports authority bump and that they're getting a bump in traffic. But if that's if that's the case, and I don't, I don't know. Do you know if they include online sales as part of comps? I, I, that, that's something you need to keep in mind. But I, I would yeah. assume that online sales are included. Anytime you have a retailer and they're reporting same store sales, you want to take into account whether or not the online sales count for the same store sales. In yeah. which case, that could inflate 
the, the actual like retail. Right. Growth. Right. Well, either way though, it is good news because one of their big competitors is gone, and so it shows that they're getting their business potentially. Or that they're being able to solidify themselves online. So, however you swing it, I mean, that that's better than we've seen, and hopefully, it wouldn't it would last longer than one quarter. Twenty sixteen has been a good year for this stock, but obviously, that is a relatively short amount of time. And you back it out, and you look sort of a five year chart of Dick's Sporting Goods. It's a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, it's it's up from where it was five years ago, but there there have been periods where this you know you can find plenty of places over the last five years that would have been the exact wrong time to buy shares of Dick's Sporting Goods. So, I'm wondering if you look at this now and think, okay, this has been great for anyone who bought in early January. You've got somewhere north of a 40% gain in this stock. But I'm wondering, again, taking the historical look at the chart, if now is the time to sort of look at Dick's and say, this is great, I wouldn't necessarily get used to this for the next, say, two years. It's not a company at first glance that that I would want to have a substantial portion of my portfolio in it. I think it's one if you're interested in the company, if you feel like these strategies with you know private label goods, these stores within a store, partnerships with brands like Nike and Under Armour, if you think those can pan out, I think they do have a brighter future than a lot of retailers. Like they have been more innovative pursuing. Those different strategies, but it's still a, a tough space. And now you have Amazon, you know, opening their own bookstores and other stuff. Like competing against Amazon is no no easy feat. So, yeah, act accordingly. I got some good news for you guys because I know you're both uh, you're both moving. You're both looking for some new accommodations. Uh, and the good news is this episode of Market Fullery is brought to you by Casper Mattress, which is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the deal uh, the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing the savings directly on. To people just like you, Sounds and like let's a good face deal. it, wow. let's yeah, I know it's great, isn't it? This Here's is perfect. The, let's be honest. Nobody wants to go to a showroom and and lie on a mattress. You can you can work with Casper, get free delivery, and painless returns within a 100 day period. So you get to like have it delivered to your home, check it out, test drive it for uh, for a few months. You don't like it, you can send it back. You can get a twin mattress for five hundred dollars. You can get a king size mattress for nine hundred fifty. And if you compare that to the industry average, that's uh, those are really good prices. And now you can save an additional fifty dollars towards a mattress purchase by going to Casper.com/fool and entering the promo code fool. That's Casper.com/fool. Enter the promo code fool. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, bad day for organic foods company Haynes Celestial. The company delayed the release of their fourth quarter earnings due to an accounting issue. And the last time I looked, guys, the stock was down about 27% this morning. Oof. Fair to say that any this is a 100% red flag. There are different there are, there are things that happen in investing where a company announces something and you go, "Well, oh, uh, the majority of the time that's a red flag." I feel like we're delaying our earnings because of an accounting issue. 100% of the time that's a red flag. Wall Street doesn't like that. <laughs> in in this case, I Haynes, a company I've followed for for a while, and we do have a small position in the Odyssey Two portfolio in Supernova, and it, you, you have to compare how what, what this looks like. Uh, it's not as bad as it could be, I guess. That, that's sort of what I'm saying. Strong this, yellow flag. Yeah, it's it's a okay. yellow flag. Um, in this case, it's an internal investigation from the company itself, the audit committee of the board of directors. It's not an SEC probe or anything like that. Really, what it comes down to is whether the company has been 
recognizing revenue at the incorrect time. So whether they're recognizing the revenue when the the products are shipped to the distributor or when it's bought by the end consumer after the distributor gives it to to the stores. So the the company actually doesn't expect the total revenue to to change. It might you know go up for one quarter, down for another quarter. So that in and of itself isn't bad. I think what what made this worse is that the company said, "Hey, but and also we're not going to meet our guidance for for 2016." I think that that hurts. So it's both. I think it, it's both. But um, going back to 2014, there was another company in this space, Annie's, with the yeah. the, the bunny Annie's. They they basically had a similar announcement. The stock got hit 20 plus percent. It recovered within a month, and then they got bought out by General Mills at, at a premium to that. So something like this. You know, I I don't think it's it's the the end of the road for for Hain or anything like that. Obviously, Wall Street hates it, but I don't see this being a, a game game changer in terms of the long term investing thesis. Yeah, I would just say that the market really hates uncertainty, and anytime the words accounting probe or accounting concerns get thrown around, it seems like the market um, generally expects the worst, and that's why things get hit so hard. Um, I don't have a whole lot specifically to share on on Hain, but just one broader lesson from this is that companies that rely more heavily on growth via acquisition, um, like Hain, tend to be more correlated to these types of accounting problems or things coming up. And why is that? Because when they make acquisitions, they they tend to be more aggressive, pulling cash forward, pushing expenses back, in, in like the quarter that they make the acquisition and. When they keep on doing that on repeat, it kind of adds up over time. For Hain, it's kind of interesting because it looks like this isn't really related to acquisitions specifically, but it does make me wonder if part of the mentality that comes with accounting when you're doing growth by acquisition has maybe um, eased its way into other accounting areas that the company is doing. Um, I don't, I don't really know for sure. But it wouldn't totally surprise me. So it is just something to be aware of. You, the, it's with with Hain something. It's not like a bank. They they sell food, so it's not as if like right. the entire company is in jeopardy. Um, but I mean, it still could. They're be, not you know, levering thirty oh, no. x to organic yogurt. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> not quite. Um, but they still could get a slap on the wrist, you know. But I would think after today's nearly thirty percent drop. They have been slapped, and so I don't know if there'll be much more slapping after this. Yeah, this this is something looking at long term. I I don't see this in and of itself being a, a game changer. If they said, you know, we're we're not gonna we, we recognize revenue that we shouldn't have at all, but if it's just a matter of shifting revenue from one quarter to the next and modifying how you do that going forward, that I don't see as a huge red flag. What what is interesting. Uh, the CFO left in September 2015. The chief accounting officer resigned in January this year. If those had happened a little closer to this, that would be an even bigger red flag for me. But you know, that's another thing to to keep in mind as we learn more about this story. At this point, we really don't know much beyond the press the, the press release the company issued. Um, but you know, that that's something I'll be I'll be watching as well. Let's go back. You've said this is um, a company that you open a small position in uh, one of the supernova portfolios. 
give me one or two uh, parts of your bull thesis for this company. Sure. Well, th- this is a company that has really been a leader in organic and natural food products. So they also do, you know, um, products like uh, skincare, healthcare, th- stuff like that. Basically, stuff you go into the grocery store, you might know Celestial Seasonings, the the tea company, Garden of Eaton with chips and all sorts of stuff, Arrowhead Mills. Basically, any alternative, natural, healthy offering. Hain is building a product portfolio, so they'll go out and buy these smaller brands. Bring that into their their national global network, so to speak, and and try to gain uh, market share that way. They're they're run by Erwin uh, Simon, who who um, he yeah he's a founder and CEO. He's still there. It's a bit of a character, but historically, if you look look at how you know the stock has done over over the long term, this has been a great space. And we we saw White Wave get get acquired within the past couple months at at a pretty hefty premium. So. It's an attractive space, and Hain has generally been a good operator. But like Aaron mentioned, they they rely on acquisitions. That makes it a bit riskier or volatile uh, time to time. But I like a lot of the brands they have, and up to this point, they've been pretty successful with that acquisition strategy. All right. Before we wrap up, I'm trying. I, I told you before we started taping. I'm trying to get a little healthier with my eating, a little less chips and queso. So so give me give me a snack that I can substitute for. Something that is almost certainly not good for me. I'll, I'll go back to Garden of Eaton. You can't go wrong with the Red Hot Blues. It's a blue corn chips with pretty good. Wow, it's chips, but it. they're healthy chips. Healthier. Healthier. I, I think it's organic. Wow. So all I'm looking for is healthier. <laughs> what, what more do you need than that, Chris? Exactly, Aaron. So I'm not much of a health nut, so I should probably be listening to David too. <laughs> but um, but one little trick that I have picked up on and occasionally do. I'm pretty carnivorous, so I like meat. But if you wrap your meat in a little bit of lettuce, it doesn't taste much like lettuce, and it still mainly tastes like meat. But you have some lettuce. <laughs> wow, that is about the most basic eating tip I can imagine. But I like it. I'm going to go with it. All right, there you Aaron go. Bush, David Cressman, thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Health. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.